following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. We have entered spring, and spring, a lot of different things come to mind uh, for people with spring. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's mushroom hunting. I don't know. Maybe, um, maybe it has something to do with uh, basketball teams playing. You know, um, doesn't have anything to do with my team anymore. All right. Um, maybe it just has to do with this. The weather is nice, and it's time to get outside. But for some people, I can tell you what spring means. It means this: it's time to clean. All right. It is spring clean up time. Now, you can take any group of people, and typically there are no categories beyond these two. You can divide everybody up into one of these two categories. You've got spring cleaners, and you've got spring clutterers, okay? Uh, And you're going to fall into one or the other. It's just the way it works. Um, You see, spring cleaners typically aren't little job people. They, They might... Not clean a little here or there every day, but when they roll their sleeves up, look out. Okay, this, let, me, let me tell you a little bit about a spring clutterer. This is what a spring clutterer does. They enter that time and it's time to clean up. So what do they do? They take stuff and they move it around. It's like, we're going to take this and we're going to move it over here. We're going to take this from here, and we're going to move it right there. We're going to take this up here. That's a great spot, and this needs to go up there. And they look around like, Wow. That's good. That's good. And the whole time on the sidelines, you got a spring cleaner just shaking their head saying, that's pitiful. That is absolutely pitiful. Because you know what? You cannot do a spring, good spring cleaning without a dumpster. All right? I'm not talking about the dumpster behind the building. I'm talking about 250 bucks to rent a dumpster, okay, and putting it in the backyard. And before spring cleaning is done, it will be full. All right? It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. That is a spring cleaner And you will fall into one of those two categories, a spring clutterer or a spring cleaner. Guess what Jesus was? I'm sorry, clutterers. He was a cleaner. All right, now, two different times in Scripture we find him doing some major cleaning. One happens near the beginning of his ministry. One happens near the end of it. Um, Just kind of setting this up just a little bit. We looked last week, we began this fixated series, and and we began the the last week of Jesus' life. It looked, I mean, it looked, boy, this is a good start here. This is something else. I mean, the people are are laying down their coats on the ground. They're laying down palm branches. They're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus runs, he just comes into town like a, like a, like a, like the victor. I mean, things are looking really, really good. Um, as we went about that day, we noticed some things that looked a little odd. Um, Jesus knew what was to come. I'm not going to say he put a damper on any of that day, but he alone had more of the solemnness of what was taking place that week over and above the party going on, okay? And, and as we look, he came down the Mount of Olives, came down into Jerusalem, into the sea, a couple of the city gates actually went into the temple and then went into the city. So, so Jesus is... is is coming down, things are going great. Um, he doesn't even make it full way into the city. He stops in the temple, and he takes a really, really good look around. I mean, that's all he does. He just, he just stops, kind of, you know, probably folds across the arms a little bit, and just looks around. And then he leaves. Same way he came, him and his closest disciples, the 12 of them, 
13 including Jesus, they, they went back out the gate and went back to Bethany about two miles away. And the next day, he comes back. And I can tell you right now, a fig tree can attest that Jesus was not in a mood to be trifled with. All right, poor little fig tree. Have you ever wondered that poor little fig tree? What did it do? You know, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and Jesus goes right to the temple. Like that is the first place he goes. Got a, got a question for you to think about here for a moment. I, I, I'm quite sure that nobody in this room, when you think back to your child, could can think of a time that you were punished. I know because we got perfect little, perfect little people here. All right, because you tell your kids that I never got punished this way, you know, as you punish them. Um, no, no. no, I don't think anybody here would. I mean, we all get the punishment. I can tell you when you know that the punishment is going to be severe when something like this happens. Like mom and dad, they don't they have to wait to give you the punishment. OK, kiddos, if you're if you're a punishable age down. Say 45, okay? Uh, now, now listen, listen closely, all right? Um, if, if mom and dad say, go to bed, we will tell you what your punishment is tomorrow. Oh, that's not a good sign, okay? Well, Jesus had been in the temple the day before, and he looked around, and something that he witnessed ticked him off infuriated him would probably be the better word for it. And the two things that he saw that, that angered him so much had to do with a circus taking place in the courts of the temple, the courtyard. Now, to, to, to bring this to, to life a little bit better in our minds, um, I'm going to try to visually, mentally paint a picture for you of what this temple, because I'm guessing that the temple and its environs, what can comprise of the temple in that day is probably bigger than what you're thinking, okay? So when you have the temple, most of the time what we probably think of being completely foreign to that of the temple is what was just the centerpiece of that temple. And that was, that was this holy place, this holy of holies. These, the, and and the, the surroundings around that were nobody but the priests went, okay? It was just the Levitical priests who, who were able to go into that part of the temple. But that's not the whole temple. There was more to it than that. It was surrounded by courtyards. And we'll start on the outside. On the outside, you have the courtyard of the Gentiles. And this courtyard, everyone was welcome. Anybody could go into that courtyard. You just, you just go in there. There's some small restrictions that you could not go into. But the vast majority, anybody could get into that particular courtyard. You go from that courtyard, and you enter into the next one. It's the courtyard of women. Okay, if you are not a Jew, you didn't go into that courtyard. You are restricted to the court of the Gentiles. Now, beyond the court of women, both men, Jewish men and women could go there. And then beyond that, there was another courtyard that was the court, the court of men. And if you're a woman, even a Jewish woman, you didn't go beyond that. And then you entered into the rest of the temple. And of all of these places, these spaces, if you will, the biggest one was the courtyard court of the Gentiles. Now, keep this in mind. This is going to blow your mind, just a little bit, I would think. The entire temple and its structure was around 35 acres. Okay, think about that for a moment. That, guys, that's, I mean, we're in Kansas here, okay? So, I mean, that's a quarter mile by a quarter mile. All right, we're talking about a, a pretty big 
place here. All right? And, and until you get that pictured in your mind, you don't, you don't understand just exactly the, the chaos that's going on. You see, in the court of the Gentiles, that's that first one that anybody could come into. There's things taking place there. It's the largest area in the temple, so there's room to do a lot of things. And what's going on there, first of all, you got the money changers. You see, when if you came to pay your temple tax, which as a good Jew, you were required to do that, and that temple tax, though, you couldn't pay that temple tax, that filthy Roman money, don't you know that? You got to have clean money. The shekel is how you pay that temple tax. So you had to have money changers there to get the money that you need. There's also animals being sold for sacrifice there. I mean, some people travel for miles to be there. They're not going to bring their animals with them. Others, I mean, they're city folk. They don't, they don't, they don't raise sheep, okay? So, so they've got all these animals being sold there. You got this, these sorts of things taking place. You got bartering and bickering. I, I mean, I know we got some, I know we got some yard sailors here. All right, some garage sailors, yard sailors, whatever you want to call it. All right, and okay, if you're a yard sailor at heart, you look down your nose at someone like me because you know what I do? Now, please do not, do not get frustrated with me, okay? I pay asking price, okay? If I go to a yard sale and there's something there that says 75 cents on it, guess what I pay? 75 cents. 75 cents. As a matter of fact, my wife would tell you, I'd probably say, I'd probably tip them as she rolls her eyes and looks down her nose. All right? And, and this is the thing. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I love, I've gotten some wonderful stuff from my wife going to garage sales. I don't go. All right? For two reasons. I don't want to frustrate her and I don't want her to embarrass me. Okay? That's, that's the two reasons. Okay? All right, Mike, I'm bringing you into this, buddy. All right, okay, Mike's with me. I mean, if Mike and Darby and Donna and I, and if Dennis is along, we're garage sailing together, Mike and I either get in our own vehicle and go to other garage sales while they're doing their thing, or if we end up at the same garage sale, we act like we don't know them, okay? Because you barter. That's what you do at a garage sale. Now, imagine that and take it times a million. And you've got people yelling, you've got people angry, you've got people frustrated, you've got all of this taking place in this courtyard. Now Jesus, why is Jesus so upset by this? He's not upset because of the temple tax. Jesus himself paid the temple tax. And he not only paid his own, he paid for that of Peter. So he's not, he doesn't have a problem with that. He's not opposed to animals being sold for sacrifice. It's what takes place. Now the corruption, I'm sure he wasn't too thrilled at because it was a pretty corrupt system that was in place but folks he was angry now look in mark 11 beginning with verse 15 again this is the second day and it says this and they came to jerusalem jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple i didn't even even get in the second reason why jesus was frustrated jesus is frustrated because all of this is going on and then on top of it now remember i told you there are two gates that are going out of the temple courtyards the courtyard of the gentiles that exit the city and go east 
All right? I'll be that direction here. All right? And they're going east. Now, there were other gates out to go outside the city, but one of the main thoroughfares leaving Jerusalem went up the Mount of Olives and left to the east. And guess what, folks? People have always liked shortcuts. You could go through the temple, the courtyard of the Gentiles, with your goods that you're taking to sell somewhere, and you kind of work your way through, go out the gate, and man, it takes, I mean, it takes 200 yards off of what you have to do here. That's important when you're carrying a lot, all right? So you've got that going on too. Jesus sees all of this, and he is angry. Look at verse 17. I mean, Jesus, I mean, Wow, he's, he's, over, he's overthrowing tables. Now, the first time that he did this, two and a half, three years before, he put together a, a whip made of cords and drove out, not just the animals, he drove out the people doing this too, out of the temple. He doesn't do that this time, but he's angry, all right? And he gives his explanation in verse 17. He began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer For all the nations. But you, you have made it a robber's den. You see, as Jesus looked around him and he saw all this bartering taking place, and then you got these merchants coming through carrying stuff, get out of the way, get out of the way, coming through, make way. He says, my father's house is to be a place of prayer for who? I mean, that is Isaiah, it's the prophet Isaiah saying this in Isaiah 56. And even back then, God was saying, my house is to be a place of prayer for all the nations. Guys, the nations are the Gentiles, and there was only one place in the temple where they could come to pray. And in that place, there's a circus going on. Why did the... I mean, Jesus is like, how are they going to pray in this? How are they going to do it? I mean, why did the Pharisees and the Sadducees allow this circus in the court of the Gentiles to take place? For one thing, it was lining their pockets. And the Sadducees were very much about that, all right? But there was another very clear reason why. They didn't care about the Gentiles. They could care less. Jesus, spring cleans the Gentile courtyard. The last time Jesus did something like this, the, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're like, who is this guy? Who gave, because apparently Jesus has some authority, all right? And they're like, they even ask him, who gave you the authority to do what you just did? Now, we're talking two and a half, three years later. They know who Jesus is now. And look what they say in verse 18. The chief priests and the scribes heard this and they began seeking how to destroy him. For they were afraid of him. For the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. Now we look back on this and we we look at it from the perspective of, of 21st century people. Of something that happened in a scene that we can't really even understand. It happened so long ago. For just a moment, I think it would be wise for us to put ourselves in the sandals of those Gentiles. Now, these Gentiles obviously care enough about God to invest greatly to come worship Him. They traveled for miles. That wasn't cheap. That wasn't altogether safe either. 
And yet, they were willing to do it because they wanted to come to the house of their God so that they could worship and pray to Him. They spent a lot to do it. They spent a lot of time doing it. And they do all this traveling, and they come into Jerusalem. They get there. They see this circus going on in front of them. And they've got to be thinking, we came all the way for this? How am I supposed to pray here? And better off staying at home. And then Jesus shows up. What are you going to think of this Jesus guy? It's interesting to see what happens next. You can turn over to John chapter 12. These Greeks, these Gentiles, just found them a new hero. <laughs> He traveled all this way to come to the temple and worship and nobody cares about him until Jesus shows up. They're like, I want to meet that guy. You know, interesting thing about heroes and a little bit of, of preview of what's to come is this. In every good hero story, every good one, I don't care if it's Superman, Batman, Iron Man, or Wonder Woman. I don't care who it is, alright? At some point, the hero falls. That's... That's just the way it works. And then, and then you're wondering, is, is the hero going to get back up again? All right? Well, the hero just entered the scene, and man, he cleaned house, literally. These people, these Gentiles, there's, there's a group of Gentiles here. They want to meet Jesus. All right? He stood up for them. They want to meet him. So let's, let's read John chapter 12. It's the last of the Gospels, fourth book in your New Testament. I'll be reading out of the New American Standard. I'll start with verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among them. That's another Gentiles, non-Jews. There were some Greeks among them who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them. Alright, so these, these Greeks come to Philip, and Philip is one of the few disciples, probably one of the few people in the temple who goes by his Greek name. So maybe that's why they went to him. They had heard his name, so they, and they knew that he seemed close to Jesus. So, and then Philip goes to Andrew, because you know what Andrew always does? He takes people to Jesus, folks. All right, You can see, when his name shows up in the Gospels, he's always taking people to Jesus. All right, Everyone from his brother to a little kid with five loaves and two fish. It's always Andrew taking them. So they, they, Philip and Andrew take these, this, I'm assuming this group of, of Greeks with them to meet Jesus. And then it says Jesus answers and says to them. Now, I know enough about English, I don't know a lot about English, but I know enough about English grammar to know that when you use a pronoun, it always goes to the nearest antecedent. But I don't know if that's, because the nearest antecedent is the two people, Philip and Andrew. But I, I got to think that these Gentiles are there too, okay? And they're probably going to wonder at exactly what Jesus is talking about next. Because this guy who looks completely in control, Goes on to say this. Let's jump back into it, verse 23. 
And Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Like, oh, yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. It's got some power. That's true. That sounds good. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I think I can tell you what happens next. Andrew and Philip look at each other. They've they kind of gone through this type of thing before. But those, those Gentiles got to be like, huh? What? what what's, this, what's this guy talking about? He starts talking about the garden. Okay? Starts talking about agronomy here. Like, we just want a meeting. We weren't expecting to get an agronomy lesson. Okay? The first thing Jesus says is the Son of Man comes to be glorified. But then he talks about death. I mean, it doesn't take an incredibly keen agronomist to understand that for produce to take place, something has to die. All right? You take that watermelon seed, you put it in that mound with other watermelon seeds, before that watermelon seed can become a plant, and hopefully have other watermelons for animals of various kinds to come eat so that you don't get to eat it. That's just what happens in our garden. Okay. Um, for that to happen, that seed has to die. If that seed doesn't go into the ground and remains up on the shelf at Orsland's, there's, there's no watermelons going to be popping out of that package. All right? It's got to it's go on the ground. And the Gentiles are just like, oh, we don't know what this guy's talking about. Philip and Andrew are like, we don't know if we know what we're talk- he's talking about, but it doesn't sound good. This is the thing, guys. Here in a few days, the disciples are about to get absolutely blindsided, absolutely positively. And Jesus is giving, he's giving them some warning here. For my kingdom to grow, death has to take place. Listen up, Philip and Andrew, the others listening. What's about to happen? Has to happen. The day before, Jesus got emotional. We talked about that last week. He's coming in to, to Jerusalem and, and he, he got emotional. And he got, he got emotional because he loved those stubborn people. And knew the price that was going to have to be paid for them. And even when that price was paid, there would still be some whose hearts would remain hard. And you remember last week we looked at it, he sobbed, he wept. He had a heart for Jerusalem, for the hard-hearted people there. And what we see here... The next day, he's about to get 
somewhat upset again. And that's two days in a row. And I know it must, must be becoming a little bit unnerving to his closest followers seeing Jesus. This is not, this is, Jesus, he's, he's crying again, Peter. He's like, he's like upset. What? I don't know what's going on here. Let's continue on. There's a lot in this next nine, ten verses, folks. We're just going to look at it all together and close down, break it down just a little bit. In verse 27 of John chapter 12. Jesus speaking. He says, Now my soul has become troubled. And what will I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this hour, for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of the heaven. Saying, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So the, so the crowd of people who stood by heard it, and they were saying that it thundered. Others were saying an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The crowd then answered him. We have heard of the law that the Christ, we've heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the son of man will be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Then Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. Jesus speaks to the crowd. Now, you've got to remember, you've got the disciples there. You've got these Gentiles there. You've got a larger crowd, some of his followers, some of those who don't know what to make of him. Some, I'm sure, who opposed him were in hearing of this as well. And, and Jesus speaks to them in, in terms that they don't quite understand. They catch a little bit of a glimpse of it, but they don't understand exactly what Jesus is saying here. We've got disciples, we've got Greeks, we've got the crowd. And on top of that, after Jesus speaks, guess what? This crazy voice comes out of heaven. God the Father speaks. Jesus says, glorify your name. And the Father says, I have glorified it. I'll glorify it again. This is the third time, audibly, that God spoke in Jesus' ministry. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus and God were like that. And, and there was communication continually. But it usually wasn't audible to the people around. You remember those times in Jesus' baptism? God spoke. Jesus' transfiguration, just weeks before this, God spoke again. And here once again, God speaks. And Jesus says, look, he didn't talk for me, guys. Me and my dad, we're like that. He spoke for you. about to get really bad and confusing for the followers of Jesus. Four days away. Four days. 
there'll be a cross. And Jesus wants them to understand what is about to take place has to happen. It has to. It is the only thing that will take power away from the ruler of this world. That's Satan, by the way. That will take away his power. And Satan's power is this, sin and death. And I'll tell you what, they are powerful. Sin and death, powerful. Most foremost weapons that Satan had once upon a time. Jesus will conquer Satan and his weapons. With a weapon that you would not expect. He wouldn't do it with a sword. He wouldn't do it with a heavenly army. He would do it with his blood. The crowd understands just enough to be confused. Jesus says the Son of Man must be lifted up. That, that, they understand what Jesus is saying. They understand that that means death. Okay? And they're like, they're, they're confused. They understand just enough. They just have enough of the picture to say, what are you talking about? We've been told you're the Christ. How's the, how's the Christ? He's supposed to be here forever. How's Christ going to die? Jesus answers them once again with not an answer you would expect. He says, look, now understand here, he's speaking to the larger crowd. Okay? He says, look, I'm not going to be with you much longer. You see, the death of Jesus is coming. His resurrection is coming. His ascension into heaven is still a little ways away. But you look closely in the Gospels. After Jesus' resurrection, he is not appearing to ginormous crowds. He's coming and encouraging and talking to and reinstating his followers, his closest followers. And Jesus, so Jesus is saying, He's saying, I'm not going to be around much longer, speaking to the larger crowd. I'm about to be gone. Here's my advice to you. Get on board now. Get on board now. And you know the amazing thing about it? So many things change in life. The call of Jesus does not. His call remains the same. You know what? I'm so glad for Thomas. You know, we call him Doubting Thomas, and that's an unfortunate thing, because he was not a bad dude, all right? He really wasn't. And he did some pretty awesome things. It's just that he's... Are you telling me that... No, no, we won't get into that. We'll save that for later, all right? I'm so glad for Thomas because it is just three, four days away when Jesus has his closest collection of followers with him and he's celebrating the Passover with them. We call it the Last Supper. And he's got this, this small group of, of men with them. And the words that Jesus says there are just so incredible. Unfortunately, part of what he says, we only hear at funerals. That's too bad. Because Jesus is trying to encourage them because like, it's like hours before, not days. It's like hours before now. Hours before the crowds will chant, crucify him. And Jesus knows that this 
this group of men with him, they're going to be wrecked. He says, I got to go, guys. I got to go get a place ready for you. That's my next job. After this job right in front of me, my next job is to get, is to get the place ready for you. You understand that's what Jesus is doing now. He's preparing eternity as I speak. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then good old Thomas, he's like, where are you going, Lord? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas, no one comes to the Father but through me. Get on.